Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Isaiah 40, 41, and 42. Isaiah 40 is, uh, well, each of these, uh, not Psalms, each of these uh, chapters. Um, we were in Psalms for so long. <laughs> uh, it's hard to transition. Yes, but in each of these chapters, they are so long. These are some long chapters. So just giving that as a as a disclaimer. Um, this is uh, sometimes when you just do three chapters a day, you have days where you're covering about, you know, 50 to 60, 70 verses of Scripture. And sometimes you're looking at over 100, 120, 130 verses of Scripture. And so that's uh, a little bit closer to where we're at today. So I'm going to do my best to just kind of skim some things that blessed me as I was reading it. Uh, these are really deep um, chapters, really um, just prophetic gold, you know, just really promises of of the future and the Messiah that have been fulfilled through Jesus and and promises that we can look to and and um actually find even more confidence in because we're we read them not as though these things will take place one day, but these things are are taking place within the hearts of those of us who believe. And so um it starts off in forty, it says comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So a couple of things that happen in there. So it's saying, hey, comfort the people, speak tenderly to them. Let them know that there is a coming time where their iniquity is going to be pardoned. Their sins are going to be cast as far as the east is from the west. There's going to be a deliverer to come. And, uh, you know, his name is Jesus. And even before he comes, there's going to be... Uh, from the wilderness, there's going to be someone else that's crying, uh, prepare the way for the Lord. We know this is fulfilled through John the Baptist, who is a voice in the wilderness that is was uh, preparing the way for the Lord. He was kind of like priming the walls, so to speak, for the paint that was to come, preparing the people's heart to um, receive the Messiah. And... Um, there's a special role that John the Baptist fulfills that each of us are still in the process of fulfilling, which is that we are not Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We are led by the Spirit. We are being transformed into Jesus' image. But we ourselves will never have the power that he has of, of transformation from the inside out. 
I can look like him. I can sound like him. I can walk like him. But people are saved not by me, but by him and by the Holy Spirit doing a work within someone. What John the Baptist did was he got people as close to salvation as he could. Okay? Nobody was saved by John the Baptist's message, but everyone was prepared for salvation. That's what we are still in the business of doing, is getting people as close to salvation as we can, but ultimately they have to choose to believe. So his message was one of repent, turn away from your junk and your sin, because you're not going to be able to find the Lord in all of that stuff. So go ahead and give all that away, because heaven's coming quick here. Jesus is on the way, and I don't want you to miss him because you're all caught up in your in your bondage and in your sin and in your shame. So turn away from all that because the king has almost arrived. And for us, the message is similar, which is turn away from all your junk because if you don't, you're going to miss Jesus. And he's here, and he's among us, and he's living. And as long as you're pursuing after all of these things, you're never going to find him because he says, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Sin keeps your heart bound up into pursuits that are worthless and meaningless. So if as long as I pursue envy and jealousy and lust and greed and pride, I'll never see Jesus because I won't be pursuing him. I'll be pursuing the wicked things of my heart. So the message of repent isn't one so that God would find, uh, would approve of us because ultimately there's no level of repentance that's ever going to cleanse um, the filthy rags of, of my wickedness or even my attempts of righteousness. Repentance isn't so that God could look at me differently. The only way that God can ever look at me differently is through the perfect spotless sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which is Jesus. And now, through us who are saved, the Father looks at us, and no matter the day we've had, whether it be good or whether it be bad, He still sees Jesus. Repent is a message that causes for me to turn away from my stuff so that I can turn towards Him. The literal word repent means to change your mind. So I'm changing my mind And I'm getting my mind off of the things of this world. And I'm getting my mind onto the things of heaven. And therefore, I'm I'm encountering His presence. I'm encountering His spirit. I'm encountering His love. I'm encountering His joy. Okay? And so what the voice of the will in the wilderness did was it prepared a road where people could walk on to get to Jesus. And that's what we're still, like I said, in, in the business of doing is I can't necessarily get to Jesus just like the friends of the paralytic. Um, they couldn't uh, necessarily heal uh, their friend, but they could drop their friend down through the ceiling so that he could get close to Jesus, so Jesus could heal him. And, you know, so, of course, we have authority, and we've been commissioned to lay our hands on the sick and heal them and all, and all these things, but it's still Jesus that does the healing, right? And so the point of this is saying is our our purpose is still to comfort people, and make straight their pathway to Jesus, just like the voice in the wilderness was through John the Baptist. And uh, and so his whole ministry was about just comforting the people and letting them know the Messiah is here. And I am not even worthy to loosen his sandal straps. He is so much greater than I will ever be. But you need to get your heart postured in a way so that you don't miss him when he gets here. And you go, well, how could you miss the Son of God when He when He walks around in the flesh? And and we we I think we often judge the Jews for their missing of Jesus. But 
we're still missing of Jesus today, and his Holy Spirit has literally been poured out upon all flesh. So I think even the greater question is not how did the Jews miss Jesus, but how is our world currently missing Jesus when he's all around us? He's in every sunset, he's in the ocean, he's in all of the animals, he's in every person, and his fingerprint is upon each person and their personality and their identity because we were each made in the image of God. Right, he's in your he's in your provisions and all that you have and every breath that you take and in the water that you drink and the food that he's supplied. Right, so he's everywhere. But how could we miss him? Well, because the word says, uh, "Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God." So my repented, pure heart sees God, and my wicked, unrepented heart can't because it's too busy seeing what I don't yet have. It's too busy looking at what everyone else has. It's too busy lusting after the the the. The lust of the flesh, it's too busy pursuing the things of this world. That's the only way you don't see God is when your whole life is spent pursuing the things of this world. Right? And so that's why Solomon says it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party because there's something about the, the nature of being that close to death that takes your eyes off of the earthly pleasures of the world because you realize that they're fleeting. And it's in those funeral-type moments that we often think about God. Um, and we often, in these rare moments, the people of the world will think about God at a funeral because the person that's sitting in the casket, uh, all of their pleasures are now gone and their possessions are now scattered and divvied out to their, their loved ones and their meanings, their, their, the, the meaning of their life is now past. And, you know, so it takes us into a place of reality. And so anyways, the 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 message that was to comfort them was hey turn away from your stuff and start looking for him and um it says that every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places uh, a plain and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the lord is spoken these passages, you know, we just talk about, I mean, I've already talked for 10 minutes and we're not even into five verses. I mean, that's just how all these passages are there. And I'm just not even doing really that good of a job. I mean, there's just so much prophetic meaning to this. But just something else I want to touch on is there's literally a 400 year period of silence between the completion of the Old Testament with the prophet Malachi speaking and the beginning of when Jesus shows up and then the gospel start being recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So there's a 400 year period of silence. And there were some historical books written like the book of the books uninspired. These are just historical books. I'm not saying they're all blasphemous. I know they're included in the Apocrypha, uh, but they're not, they're not blasphemous necessarily. I can't, I can't definitively, uh, say that I'm an expert on the Apocrypha because I haven't read it uh, cover to cover. But what I have read in the courses that I took years ago uh, was that a lot of these books are fairly harmless, but they're just very uh, uh, boring, so to speak. They're just uninspired. They're just people uh, writing down the things that were taking place in history. And you know what? There's not much taking place in history in those 400 years. It It was an intentional pause it was an intentional period of stillness um, before Jesus would come to just get everyone, um, you know, on the edge of their seat, so to speak. But some of the things that were interesting that were taking place in that 400-year period of time was that highways were literally being formed, and people were literally leveling out the mountains, and they were raising up the valleys. And when the time that by the time that Jesus came, there were roads to to travel. Uh, there, there were 
the 400 year period was literally the formation of all the roads that he would travel. And if those 400 years would not have been so, um, so instrumental into creating the highways in which that Jesus would walk, it would have been incredibly difficult for his ministry, ministry and the gospel that even the apostles carried to be taken to the places where it was taken because literally the mountains were leveled and the valleys were lifted up during this 400-year period of time. I just think it's just interesting, even things like that. There was also a lot of things that took place with language so that the language barriers could be softened so that the gospel could be spread. They weren't softened as much as like America is where we pretty much all speak English, but there was a lot, there were some universal languages that were starting to travel uh, from from. Uh, people to people to where it wasn't like every language was different within a five mile within five miles of one another you know they were starting to be more universal languages again so that the gospel could go out so i just want to say like even in the moments of stillness even in the times when it feels like god's not speaking kind of like that 400 year period he's always working and he's preparing the way for what's to come and so um, I just I just love that, and that was just a, a good good example of a prophecy that was fulfilled. I'm going to try to move a little bit uh, into some of these some of these other passages, but um, then it goes on in verse eight. It says, "The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand." forever. And so we know if the Lord says it, that he's going to do it, and nothing's going to stop that from happening. And everything that he's ever done, he actually said that he was going to do before he did it in Scripture, right? And he's fulfilled every word. And so it's pretty pretty amazing. And um, as we continue on into chapter 40, it says uh, that he will tend uh, behold, the Lord comes with might, verse 10, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And and so the Lord just comes and he's shepherd. He's our good shepherd. He leads us. Jesus, Jesus said that, right? I am the good shepherd. And so we know that Jesus has come. And it, what we think about what does a shepherd do? He's a, he's a gentle leader of the flock, but he's a protector of the flock too. He he sees to it that the flock is fed, that the flock is sheared, and he sees to it that the flock is safe from danger. You can do. You could just study that. Just that concept of just what does it mean for Jesus to be our shepherd? And it's just beautiful, because the the shepherd is taking care of our nutrients, but the shepherd is also leading us in where we're to go. Okay, and then he's also fighting off. You know, it says your rod and your staff, right? You know, the staff is got a hook on it. It goes around the 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 sheep's neck so to speak and it pulls the sheep away from what's dangerous if there's a snake or something there you can grab the sheep by its neck and you pull it away from its danger so the the lord he grabs us and he pulls us away from from danger but the staff the uh it does the pulling away from us but then the rod it actually is the offensive weapon that fights off the wolf or whatever it is that comes upon the sheep and so he he leads us and he protects us with his staff to pull us away from danger and also his rod to strike the danger that comes at us and so that's the work of the good shepherd but the shepherd also shears the sheep you know the sheep if it's the sheep actually has to be to be sheared its wool can cause it to 
to overheat and to die if it carries around too much for too long. So the good shepherd comes and he shears, meaning he takes off uh, the the extra load and the and the coat that we carry and the, the things that collect on us. And it's often, um, you know, it's not it's not painful for a sheep to get sheared. Uh, it, it's it's just cutting away, and it feels refreshing when it's all gone. But there is something to us that is difficult about taking, letting Jesus take stuff off of us that we've been carrying. But once we let Him do it, it it's uh, it, it feels so much lighter when it's when it's taken away. And so that's just another one of His promises is that, that's been fulfilled in Jesus as we have the Good Shepherd. Um, and then uh, going on. Uh, the very end of this chapter is a verse man I know we quote a lot it says um but they who wait on the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint and it's just this it's just understanding of the strength that comes from from waiting on the Lord and having faith and trusting in the Lord some translations say those who trust in the lord there's a there's a there's a common uh, understanding of the correlation between waiting and trusting. And and that's powerful because, you know, you say, do you trust in the Lord? Yeah, I trust in the Lord. Do you have faith in the Lord? Yes, I have faith in the Lord. Okay, uh, what are you currently waiting on for the Lord? And then, then that's harder because we're not very good at waiting on the Lord to do things, to, to be honest about it. Because we might pray about it, but then we start trying to do it in our own strength, like Abraham and Ishmael. You know, we, we but, but, but that's, that's not really what we're called to do. We're the greatest example of faith is when I can pray and believe and trust that it will come to pass at the right time. And then I, and then I, and then I just enjoy the process and the Lord actually strengthens us in our waiting. I, I've always enjoyed exercise science and I was a personal trainer for a time. And when I think about this verse, I always think about, you know, sometimes the Lord builds our strength by putting a lot on us. You know, I, I don't know who came up with that expression. You know, if the Lord never gives us more than we can handle, because it's just not true at all. The Lord very often gives us a lot more than we can handle, because that's the only way we can build strength. You know, I mean, when I was a personal trainer, the only way I could build strength in my client is quite literally to put more weight on them than they're accustomed to, and then encourage them to lift it and to move it and and to do more repetitions with it than they've done before. And it's actually in that pressing uh, and then provoking of perseverance that strength is developed. So that is actually still one way that God uses uh, our circumstances to develop strength in us is by quite literally putting us into places uh, that we've never been before, doing things that we've never done before, that we're actually unable to do without his help. And then we seek his help and his guidance and it builds up up in us spiritual strength. But the other way that the Lord uses us is through the waiting. You know, so it's funny because you could put, you know, hundreds of pounds of weight on a bar and have people to move it. And there's that sort of strength. And you can also ask people to do uh, more repetitions with an exercise than they're comfortable with, and that'll build their strength. But then there's the most uncomfortable strength of all. And that's really when you have to get into a position that is uncomfortable and then you have to stay there. So you've probably done a plank before, right? So a plank looks easy and it's really hard. If I challenged you at the end of this podcast to go do a plank for two minutes, you would figure out immediately how long two minutes is. <laughs> two minutes doesn't seem like it's very long. When I was a teenager and I was just starting to get into working out, I decided that I was going to, when I watched TV, I was going to plank through every commercial break. You know, the commercial breaks are normally about three minutes long. Those would be the th- longest three minutes that I've ever experienced 
experienced in my life because the plank, it, it, it engages so many of your muscles as you're just holding everything. And so when I think about those who wait on the Lord, and I think about this concept of how their strength is renewed from it, and um, they're going to run and not be weary, and they're going to walk, and they're not going to faint. It's because there's something really powerful. There's a special kind of strength. It's endurance is the sort of strength, like that of a marathon runner, that is developed in our waiting. It's just powerful, and it can't be created in any other way, where I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And so when we pray for something, we believe for something, don't, don't get discouraged as you're waiting on it, but just think of it like you're spiritually holding in a plank and still believing. I'm still believing. I'm still believing. I'm still believing. And as I'm believing, the Lord is developing in me strength because I'm in this spiritual plank and all of my spiritual muscles are engaged as I'm waiting on God to fulfill his promise. And, um, oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff in these chapters. I'm just, oh, I just love it. And I'm just barely anywhere. Oh man. Psalm 41, not Psalm. I just really want to be in the Psalms today. It must be because they're just... in our seminary that I'm teaching, we just finished the book of Psalms and then we, this podcast was in Psalms. And so anyways, Isaiah 41, um, man, oh wow. It's so good. He says, fear not. This is just the big fear not chapter where the Lord just continuously says, don't fear anything, man. I'm with you. I'm for you. You're my chosen people. He says, fear not verse 10, for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And, um, for your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Uh, fear not, uh, those who war against you shall become nothing at all. Uh, you know, And it just goes on and it talks about the uselessness of idols and how I'm with you. And it's just powerful promises for us to remember. Um, it, it doesn't matter who comes after us or what comes against us. The Lord is with us. And if God is for us, then who could be against us? No one. Okay. Psalm 42. Psalm, oh my gosh, I give up. <laughs> I give up. Oh man. Isaiah 42. Uh behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And it's just this amazing passage of understanding the Messiah and how he would come and how gentle he would be. And he would be this gentle seeker of justice. And um, obviously we're to emulate that way of, of how gentle Jesus was. He said to he even said to his disciples, you're to be as, as shrewd as snakes, meaning wise, but as harmless as doves. And so we're not to be these hot-headed, angry people. We're to be really methodical and wise in our decision-making and not letting human emotion uh, determine the way that we act, but to be led by the Spirit in all things. Um, but also, this is just to show, a, a, this is a prophetic word of, that Jesus would fulfill even in his personality and his character. And it goes on, and, and uh, then at the conclusion of uh 42, it, it talks about the song that, that uh, we're to sing, to sing to the Lord uh, of that, uh, how he will come and his Messiah will come and, and um, rejoice in him. And then it talks about Israel's failure to hear and see and basically saying, you've been blinded up until this point, but I'm sending someone who's going to quite literally open the blinded eyes. And he meant that 
in a literal sense, but the miracle of someone who's blind and their eyes being opened is amazing. And I just, I pray to see more of that in my life. I want to see literal blinded eyes open. But we can't forget that the spiritual blindedness and Jesus being the cure for opening the eyes of our heart is still the greater miracle. You know, we love the physical miracles. They're amazing. But the physical body, you know, no matter how healed it gets, it's still going to die one day. But when the spiritual body gets healed and the eyes of our heart open and the ears of our heart go from deaf to being able to hear, that's a greater experience. And it will always be a greater experience. And Jesus came to save those who are lost, even more than he came to heal. He came to even more than he came to heal physically, he has come to heal spiritually. And we need to press into him and receive his healing. And uh, I just encourage you to meditate on these scriptures in, in your own time. These are just beautiful. They're not Psalms. They're, <laughs> they're words of prophecy. Uh, that's what we learned today, wasn't it? Uh, and I enjoy these chapters in Isaiah. And they just encourage uh, me to wait in the Lord. And they encourage me to be a voice in, in the wilderness and leading people to the highway uh, to where Jesus is because he's the way and the truth and the life and um and to to just trust in him and 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 just be reminded of what has what what benefits have I received in my salvation. Last thing I want to say today is you know I think reading the prophecies is is kind of like finding your 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 car's manual in your glove box, you know, if you still have that, you know, I've had cars that I've drove for years and I've never opened up the, the manual in the, in the glove box, if there is one in there. And I, I, I've just had several moments. This might be too personal of a, uh, an example. You may not relate to this, but I've had so many moments in my life where I crack open that glove box and I pull out that manual and I start flipping around and I'm quite literally amazed by the features that my car has. You know, some of them I was, a lot of them I was already using and I didn't really, you know, learn anything new, but sometimes I did. But then other times I'm just amazed at how advanced they built this car and all the little bells and whistles and things. And, you know, I just didn't even get it until I read the manual. And I just want to say for us, as we go and we read through the books of prophecy and we read about, um, this new covenant that Lord Jesus would establish. To me, it's like cracking open the glove box and reading again um, all the benefits that I have in Jesus, some of which, of course, I'm taking advantage of, and then others of them that maybe I'm just not yet, because, hey, I didn't even know that that was like in here. You know, I remember my mom, I think it was, found out three years or so after she owned a car that she could... uh, she could use her clicker uh, and click a, a button like three times and it would actually start our car. And she had drove the car for years before realizing that. And I feel like that's kind of the body of Christ. Sometimes we're like, well, I've been a Christian for this long and I didn't realize that I literally have uh, oil. Like there's literally the oil of gladness is available to me. Like there's no reason for me to be depressed. Like salvation has come not just to keep me out of hell, but so that heaven could come to earth now and so that I could experience joy unspeakable and he could turn the ashes of my life into beauty and, you know, just all these things. So as we read the book of prophecies, especially Isaiah, I just feel like we're reading the manual of salvation and the benefits of salvation that some of us are not even yet walking in. And then other things that we are walking in, but we just have forgotten how beautiful and amazing they are.